Okay, more to come, listeners. It's time for another episode of Stargazing. In fact, it's our kickoff 2024 first episode of Stargazing. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor at Publishers Weekly, and we're going to be talking with Meg Lemke, PW's graphic novels review editor. Meg, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Calvin. So glad to be back on talking about books. I love it. I love it. So um, uh, why don't you, just to kick the new year off, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what Stargazing is and what books we're going to be talking about today. Okay. So Stargazing is when Calvin and I get together and talk about books that received starred reviews in Publishers Weekly. Um, you, we are a reviews magazine for the trade um, industry in book publishing, and a star on a review means that book is extra special. Yeah, <laughs> a, good. There you go. <laughs> Tell it like it is. <laughs> we'll know about these extra special books, and we try and time this to when they're they're available, you know, for consumers. As in, all of you all listening, as readers, could go to your local independent. And purchase these books. I love it. All right. So, uh, wh- what are we talking about today? So, we have three books, and the first up is Worm by Adel Rodriguez, a Cuban American Odyssey. It's a graphic memoir out from Metropolitan Books. Um, we have definitely been hyping this title. It was one of our um, big anticipated books of the fall at the U.S. Book Show. Adel Rodriguez appeared on a panel. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Starred review and Publishers Weekly. It came out this winter. Um, so this is the story of Rodriguez's upbringing in Cuba and his uh, immigration to the U.S. Um, in Miami and what that experience was like for him and his family. And then also a, like a long, hard look at what his development as a political cartoonist and caricaturist and cover artist. He's a, de- he's a designer who does sort of poster art and cover art. Um, predominantly for Time magazine, he did mm-hmm. many of the critiques of Trump that mm-hmm. appeared on the cover of Time, like the caricatures of him, what that meant to him as um, a Cuban-American, mm-hmm. looking at despotism and um, the rise of uh, extremism in the country. And it's it's a really incredible work. You know, I think that also the politics around Cuban-Americans in the U.S., around Cuba, and the relationship with the U.S. are very complex. And he takes one approach that I do think is quite nuanced and really um, interesting and compelling. And the artwork is really beautiful. I don't know if you want to jump right in and talk about that. There's also a lot of really incredible use of color. He uses a lot of green and red, so sort of like military green and um, red, red, red. And he, he says in an interview with PW, actually, that he felt for a long time that he wouldn't use red, like he wouldn't mm-hmm. use you know, communist red, uh, having grown up in Cuba and felt, um, persecuted that he, that he, you know, stayed away from it. And then he sort of reclaimed it in this work. And then in the Trump era in the book, he starts using orange and the red and the orange have yeah. a relationship in terms of the colors, which is, it's really fascinating. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, 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 as you said, this is really, uh, a, a really emotionally wrought and very methodical portrait of life uh, under Fidel Castro, its communist government. Um, and, and, and I mean, the focus is on the 1970s. I mean, see, he was born in 1971 in a small town outside of Havana. Uh, he tells his story in methodical detail. Um, 
the drawings, uh, ha- you know, the drawings uh, almost have almost like a like a wood carving kind of effect to them. They're very rich. Um, uh, yeah, it's just really a really affecting memoir. Uh, uh, you could say a, a rebuke <laughs> uh, of uh, a repressive uh, a government uh, and a warning to his adopted country as an American citizen now. Um, I, you know, in terms of his response to the, you know, the rising tide of right wing political rhetoric that's, uh, going around in the country now. Um, uh, for myself, what was really, what was really, uh, you know, and I'll tell you, a part of my reaction to the book comes from my own, um, uh, that I was lucky enough to be able to go to Cuba twice under PWs. Um, and PW did two trips uh, to Cuba in like, was it 2016 and 2017? I was lucky to go along, got to see both the good and the bad sides of Cuba. Um, uh, this book, of course, takes place in, in the 19 from the 1970s to I think he he uh, immigrated in the in 20 in 1980, and then he returns about 15 years later as an older uh, young man with his father. Uh, so it's just an arresting, methodical story that really shows his growth, his reaction to the communist regime, and just uh, an open letter to his new country to look closely uh, to compare the two societies and where they might be headed. <laughs> if, if, I hope that's a more or less clear my reaction to the book. Yeah, and the art definitely picks up on folk art as well of like Cuban folk art and the kind of colors, as you were saying, there's a sort of woodcut um, or sort of sense of a hand carved look mm. to the artwork. And I think it's really important to emphasize what an insider perspective this is. You know, the relationship between Cuba and the U S is so fraught and so um, idealized in some ways. And he, there's actually a longer version of, we did a short Q and a with him and they're always, it's always so hard to cut these. T- and I don't want to, speak out of turn on things that were on the recording with him that we couldn't get into print. But, you know, he does allude in the what we published to the kind of um, idealization of Cuba by the American left or certain segments of the American left that I, yeah. I think is um, important not to gloss over in terms of how he reacts to it. And we know that um, Cuban-Americans, many of them are been behind Trump, right? Because yes. he speaks against, he you know, he speaks in these glib ways against socialism and there's a lot of fear from people who left Cuba um, that gets activated so his reaction against Trump is also a reaction against that yes and a key part of his story this memoir uh, you know it, it you know it does drift between memoir and manifesto at certain times mm-hmm. um, but yes I mean, we should be very clear I mean this is a methodical look at life under Castro and it's not it's pretty vilification necessarily it's really a very personal story yes. that's well and done it, and it's so. about relentless repression economic uh, uh, desperation. Uh, among people, he grew up in a rural community, and about the victimization of people uh, when they did basically announce uh, their desire to leave the country. What his family had to go through, the, de- the degradation, uh, the victimization 
that was directed at anyone who decided they were they were going to immigrate. Uh, and it's 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 a really affecting and powerful story. Yeah, it was a very long segment in um, an encampment of refugees or people who were trying to leave the country um, who were held at the border by the Cuban government before they were allowed to leave on particular boats, right? Like it's a very, who are like, were, were pushed out of the city, told you cannot stay, you know, mm. called worms. The title worm comes from a specific naming by Castro of of citizens who determined that they wanted to take an opportunity to leave that was offered. There was like a period that opened, like essentially like, Stand up and get out now if you don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, then, but 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 you but by doing so you you put a target on yourself for the right, regime. Exactly. So people and, were yeah. and persecuted in the camps in these sort of encampments. Um, it's just very it's very detailed and very real. Um, I've also been to Cuba. I don't know if we've talked about this before on the podcast. Not not officially through PW or any professional capacity. We like we went in. Broke <laughs> to visit um, in 2011, and it was uh, it was very interesting. Um, I hadn't been in the situation of seeing such extreme poverty, and it was from. I don't want to. As a tourist, you really can't speak, I think, in a knowledgeable way about these conditions or understand no. the outside. But I, but I did have the experience of being there and speaking to artists. Um, and well, well, PW was there. We, it was during, in somewhat of a political uh, thaw under the Obama uh, right. uh, administration, um, and, and so we very did often see uh, a mixture of the best in the world. We also went there during the Havana Book Fair, which is really an extraordinary, yeah, event. absolutely extraordinary. There's just a lot of beauty and art, and hmm. you know, there's he but, captures a lot of the kind of. The, the, the people and the spirit of the country and the spirit of his countrymen and in his sense of home. You know, there's a lot of beauty and love for his childhood as well. But I should say, uh, while we were there, we also saw the other face of of the Cuban uh, um, authoritarian government who right. shut down an author that we brought down there who had been approved to come, confiscated his books, and, and basically to, uh, refused to allow him to be a part of our program uh, and it was in a uh, it was a bit of a shock. Uh, I'm not sure we should have been shocked, but we were. Uh, and it happened during our. I think this was the second time we went down there. We did not expect that. Uh, and he had been approved. And this author had been approved to come. In fact, I wrote a story about it, and I apologize. The name of the author escapes me now, but he was a Cuban American who had left earlier, and he came back. It was different. in fact did a uh, an event in in Havana. Uh, and then when he was going to speak on our program, uh, he was told that he would not be allowed to speak and his books were confiscated. Unfortunate. And Rodriguez has an experience also traveling to Cuba as part of um, a kind of delegation of artists returning. Yes, he's yes. Had similar concerns. And at that time, also concerns about being um, not allowed to return to the U.S. because of uh, the Trump era and regime yeah. and the yeah. And fears um, anyone who has be, who had become a citizen uh, being held up or uh, you know, falling into extraordinary rendition. Kind of, it was it's very very complex, and I really do just um, point readers to the work, you know, to read the work and to kind of navigate the. Because at, at its core, this is a classic uh, immigrant Im- immigrant story of uh, you know uh, the, I search for a better life. Uh, in this country, uh, achieving some success, 
trying to reconnect with with family, a traditional family back in Cuba, um, and, and trying to make sense uh, of these two worlds, his his native country and his adopted country. So, uh, and if I may, I, I would just like to point out a, a, a book that it reminded me of, in fact, that I had some hand in because I wrote an introduction to it, and it was Dean Haspel's um, book. What is it? A Cuban Revolution? Uh, it was done in 2010, Cuba, My Revolution, oh, by I Dean Haspel and Inverna Lopez, mm-hmm. who's, uh, who tells a story. Inverna Lopez was a friend of Dean's mother, who's Cuban-American, and uh, uh, she was an artist who escaped, uh, became big on the feminist art scene here in New York City. But it's mm-hmm. also a look at the, her life in Cuba and what what eventually drove her to break with the, with the uh, Cuban government and to... Uh, to leave as a refugee and come to the states, so it's another uh, another separate volume in uh, you know uh, Cuban Americans looking back on their relationship to uh, uh, the Castro governed Cuba. Yeah, and I have to say, there's a theme that is powerful in the work that is also about parenting and decisions about and, yes, own life and the life of your children. And I think that he depicts quite clearly how hard it is for his family to want to leave Cuba. Mm-hmm. His parents have relationships, they have a position in their community. It's, it's really about the ways that he is being um, removed from them for mandatory schooling, for a certain kind of indoctrination. Yeah. And his mother's fears about um, his health and his and the health of his siblings, I'm, I'm trying to remember correctly, um, that drive them to take this extraordinary journey which is really harrowing and and difficult um yeah to leave the country yes and if i may say so the people go to uh publisherswiki.com slash comics and you can find a short excerpt from oh yeah it's on edel, uh, edel rodriguez's uh graphic memoir warm a cuban american odyssey yeah, we have a review. We yes. have, and actually, it's a very it's a it's a it's a section that really looks at, it gives a portrait of his father, his life, and how they na- navigated a path um, to support their family uh, in a culture of political refre- re- uh, uh, repression. Mm-hmm. So, actually, coincidentally, in how we planned it, but not in terms of you know themes. The next book is also a graphic memoir of an artist who left hmm. uh, as an activist artist. Zodiac, a graphic memoir by Ai Weiwei, which was a, a complete surprise to me, to be honest. It wasn't um, something me too. <laughs> for fall. So I don't know how that happened, but it came as a kind of surprise edition from a huge celebrity in the art world, um, activist artist Ai Weiwei, who is a, a Chinese artist um, who was imprisoned in China for his work um, and is known globally now and also spent time in New York, which he talks about in the book. So his, some of his formative years as an artist were here in New York City, uh, I think in the Lower East Side, I'm trying to remember. Yes, exactly. according to the book, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's it's written with Electra Stambulis and Gianluca Constantini is the artist. Um, the art is gorgeous, you know, very fine line, detailed drawings. I think we say in the review, there's a certain, um, you know, we are, they're like 
easily they're understated but intricate drawings it's hard to explain but there's something about them that feels like easy to read right away but as soon as you spend time with them they're just really detailed and intricate mm-hmm. um drawings and the the story is really him musing about his life and upbringing but with many asides about his philosophies of um art ethics politics what it means to be an artist um in oppression and to be persecuted as an artist and they're told to his son um but then they're also obviously told to the interviewer who's speaking to him to put together the book um and there's a sort of lovely uh looping quality to them like they're it feels like conversational. They have like a sort of Socratic, <laughs> you know, yes. dialogue going. Um, and it's all structured around the scent of the Zodiac. So each chapter opens with him dis- discussing a story of the Zodiac um, and an animal um, and then kind of moving into Chinese fables and folk tales, which he tells as an act of resistance also because he speaks very early to his son about how only certain books were um, available to be read under um, Mao's regime when he was a child. And so thinking about like, coming back to older folk tales and stories as a sort of act mm-hmm. of resistance. Um, I want to hear what you thought, you know, because I know this book was a surprise to you too. And I also know, you know, Calvin was an artist himself in the Lower East. I don't know if you crossed paths with him. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, look, th- this is a wonderful book. I- I'll just say that first off. It's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful memoir. It shows you the kinds of things that graphic memoir can do that, that are very different, uh, uh, I think, from prose. Uh, autobiography, um, uh, I, think it, uh, I think it's another indication of how prominent Graphic memoir has been uh, on the adult side of uh, uh, comics publishing. We all know the great popularity of, of middle grade and YA graphic novels, and and how in many ways the the, the creation of it and of course the sales of it uh, has have really uh, put put comics and helped the comics as establish itself in the book trade. But really, um, once again, graphic memoir on the adult side, I think it's just been a very powerful category uh, in the book trade. And this book is another example of it. It really is uh, a really deft uh, exploration of uh, Ai Weiwei's uh, memory, the political history of, of uh, China, uh, the power of folk tales uh, in the culture. Uh, and even in explaining his approach to contemporary art. Uh, so yes, I did get to New York City in the early 80s. I came here to be an artist. Yes, I ended up being a book reporter, but I also, uh, have made art and shown art. Uh, uh I certainly, uh, he talks about, I think he was in New York, he lived in New York City from 1983 to 1993. Uh, I, I do of course remember the AIDS, as do we all, AIDS epidemic, uh, its um, impact on the art world. Uh, um, you know, I, I actually wrote an essay in art in art um, in America magazine about the witnesses exhibition that took place at Artist Space and its impact uh, between some of the people organizing the show and you know uh, the Republican administration over grants to activist artists. There's that. Oh, there's a whole scenario there. Uh, he mentions the Tompkins Square riots, which was about 1988. I was there that night, the police riot. Mm. Um, 
uh, and I'd spent all night out there uh, watching that and running like everybody else was. Um, and it's very interesting. I think in the book he talks about New York uh, in that period, in that those 1980s, uh, reminded him of Beijing in the 1960s. But of course, New York City in the 1980s was very much like New York City in the 1970s. It really was still uh, a kind of uh, uh, it was still trapped in the uh, the the conflicts, the, the 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 street problems, the drug issues, the the real estate issues uh, that uh, we saw in the 1970s as New York City faced a, a financial crisis. But it was also a great time for art. If I do say so myself, it was a great time to reinvent yourself as an artist, to uh, to create an art career outside of the gallery gatekeeping system. These are the years of the East Village uh, becoming a major art uh, art platform. So I could go on and on in terms of uh, you know my own memories and what this book. Uh, this book evokes in me, but really it's just a wonderful, uh, investigation into his life as an artist in the context of his political activism. Uh, his father, which who was a major poet. I mean, you may want to talk about this. I don't want to go on and on and on, but I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this book. And as you mentioned, uh, the artist works with him incredibly well to create this really poetic visual narration of his life. It's and, and the artwork is both very precise and, and representational without becoming pyrotechnically so. There is mm-hmm. a, a sense of mystery and poetry to these wonderful representative rep, representational drawings. Uh, so I don't want to go on and on and on because I, I, I love the book. I love how it evokes New York, how it evokes his work, and then how it evokes how artists think about art, particularly contemporary artists. Well, I mean, and certainly in the Tompkins riots piece, which is really like three or four pages, because this book, every three or four pages, gets in-depth into yes. historical periods, into fables, into relationships he has with other artists, yes. his yes. family, um, just so lively. Like, they just go right in and out, um, and, and all kind of somehow wrapped together. Like, I didn't find myself getting lost, despite... no fact that it does a great job of not overburdening the text versus art, like a lot of storytelling is in the art. And it feels like a jumping off point. Like, you know, like in that section, I thought, I want to ask Calvin about it. Like it gives <laughs> enough, but if they want to learn more about that, they have the internet. Like they can go and spend some time versus this info dump that we often see, honestly, in any kind of work that's written to be adopted, which I think this is. When I say adopted, I mean in academic programs, mm. clearly biographies of artists are genre, right, that is happening in comics, and this one does something wholly different with that, um, box a lot of the kind of cut and paste trends of that format. Um, and his, so his father was a poet and was was exiled within China during the original, um, the Cultural Revolution, um, and he he, with his father, goes to this sort of desert area, and they live literally underground. Um, and it's just very powerful. He talks about chasing mice to eat and collecting their tails, and he was the best, like, rat catcher in this community of exiles living in um, 
in a, an encampment, you know. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, in fact. Mm-hmm. To, and we should also mention his partner, the mother of his child, yes. is also in the speaks, world. yes, mm-hmm. and speaks and has some sense of agency as well. Um, uh, but the story of his father, which I didn't know at all, was was also uh, incredibly moving. Um, a man of incredible principle whose life seems to be being played out again uh, through Ai Weiwei, who's faced his own imprisonment at times. Yeah, and clearly his father is very influential and known as um, a repressed poet, like a, mm-hmm. like a repressed poet. Um, you know, the... We don't have to say much to hopefully have readers here understand that there's huge human rights issues um, and free speech issues with with China, right? And so this book is speaking very directly to those concerns. Um, And Weiwei has has come to the fore as a kind of celebrity, I think, as as somebody who's gotten past that and has had his work shown in the U.S., um, but is really clearly speaking in this book about concerns about being imprisoned at any time. Mm-hmm. So he goes to China and is immediately detained and, and draws about that detainment and sitting in an empty room and like what he did and how he got through that period. And then just goes right back to talking about the next kinds of work he's going to do and how he wants to do a piece about American prisons, you know, and he does similar again, there's a lot of critique of America and, um, rising oppressive regimes here or continuing, you know, from the 80s, the idea of the way that the police and power responded to artists in Tompkins Square. And it's very clear-eyed about that. Well, once again, um, for an artist who has faced uh, really um, a a powerful political... Who's, who's faced the worst of a, almost the worst of a, of a politically repressive society. It's pretty amazing the, uh, the, the genial nature, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the wisdom and, uh, of the tone and the tone, the gentle tone of his, uh, storytelling, his recapping of his life. Because, um, I mean, he talks about various pieces that he's created and their meaning. Uh, he talks about being imprisoned and being under 24-7 observation. Um, he talks about his child and he weaves in these fairy tales. And uh, it's just a wonderful – I mean, he's really talking about momentous events that he, he turns into a narration of how he goes and thinks about turning this stuff – into something meaningful about his life. And I, I just found it uh, incredibly inspirational. The team of people he put together, because it's a story, part of the story that's also so uh, inviting is he seems to be walking around Beijing and Beijing and, uh, and other places in China talking about meeting friends and eating and uh, all of this. Uh, uh, I I I know I'm not sounding terribly clear, but he's he's created this really wonderfully inviting and atmospheric talk about how you make art in a in a in a a society that is determined that you not make it honestly, and it's really uh, just a beautiful uh, exercise in memoir. (laughs) <laughs> That's if, I, if, I, if I haven't said that already, I'm saying it again. And it's a challenging book, too, because 
they they both the the re, like the team you know the artist and Ai Weiwei and the co-writer um, they give so much detail in the artwork and so much specific anecdotes and specific dates and specific mm. references but they also evade certain um, easy answers in easy narration uh, and his partner and the mother of his child like speaks to that very directly she's teasing him she says you like speaking in metaphors you know mm-hmm. she's sort of giving him a hard time and he does do that and it's a certain type you know but it's it really feels like those conversations with someone who um answers with a riddle right like and i i want to take care because i can sound very caricatured of the way we think about um you know like an artist like him who is coming from an Asian culture and who has a sort of way of, of speaking in um, metaphor, but it's done in this book in a very real way, in a very compelling way. Yes, yes. And, and, and just to quote him, and late in the book, I think at some point he says, art is wrestling with yourself. And, and I think that, that that's one way to think about this book. He talks about the ways that he has wrestled with his experience, what's inside of him, his family, and 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 how that has has taken him on the path of art that he's chosen and it's really uh it's really just uh you feel privileged to be able to walk alongside him and and be a part of these meals uh and these conversations and these recollections uh, of his life so he answers questions with questions and it's really a challenging book in that way and really inspiring as you say but also something to grapple with and i i think it will reward rereading um also i just have to say it's beautifully done they have gold leaf on the cover it's a trade paperback with french flaps um and i really liked getting the real book versus the pdf because the art is lightly drawn like it's a light black and white um fine pen lines so it's great in in print Yes. No, it's just a wonderful book. And I tell you, the, the, the detail in it, 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 they've managed to balance this incredibly detailed art that doesn't kind of suffocate the page. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what, 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 uh, the, the collaboration, uh, uh, in this book and, yeah, and the visual cool. narrative that it's produced. Wonderful. Um, big surprise. Hopefully we'll get some attention now that it's out. It's a January release. And, um, and then if we have time, we just want to speak more briefly about one other book that kind of came as a surprise and as a debut, and it's more of a graphic novella called The Cliff by Manon de Baye, I'm assuming. Manon, I guess, call and correct us, please. Um, <laughs> the French translation, and it's really a novella, even though it's not super short. It has that feeling to me. It's about 150 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in... These are gorgeous colored pencils. Uh, it's the story of two young girls who have a, an obsessive, romantically coded friendship. Um, and they're both, like, extremely depressed. And, you know, we were saying there's a lot of um, content warnings. You know, it, it, it deals with suicidal ideation. The book is about suicidal ideation between these young girls. Uh, one of them is a bully in, in her school and is in sort of group of boy bullies and it's there's also clear allusion to you whether or not she the the, the girl who is spoken as a girl uses female pronouns but maybe considering um you know she could be read certainly as, as potentially a trans boy right like in the way that yes um and that may be where this work would go if there was a second volume but there isn't it's really left open to interpretation by the reader um and you know the 
basically one girl, the one who was in the bullies, bullies the other girl, despite the fact that they have a friendship outside of school that's hidden. Um, and then they have a pact together to jump off a cliff. And the whole book is sort of leading up to whether or not they'll jump. And, you know, you and I were talking before the recording about how this is a trope, you know, and can be very dangerous in this sort of romanticization of suicide, um, particularly for young people. But it's handled here in a way that felt um, both accurate and chilling, especially as a parent reading it, um, but avoids the the romanticization, I think, in the way that it resolves itself. And also just the sort of cruelty between the two friends, that the the pack doesn't protect them from each other. Yeah, yeah. It's it's moody, it's it's anxious, uh it's it's despairing at times. It's really a a portrait of adolescent despair, bullying, uh the the tendency to be remote from family members uh but it and but it it, it also focuses on the contradictory the sometimes contradictory behavior, interpersonal behavior of teenagers, uh, and the potential for just awful tragedy. But this book is oddly hopeful in its own way, um, even though this terrible tragedy lo- possibility looms. Um, uh, and, and it is be- beautifully executed. It is a kind of tone poem, uh, and, um, a cautionary tale. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. It was a winner of a 2023 Angoulême Prize. Um, Drawn Quarterly, if I didn't say before, put it out, which, you know, obviously feels like the right publisher for it. And as an English language debut, you know, really spoke to me. I was reading a number of debuts this fall in trying to think about what to nominate for the NBCC Leonard Awards. This is one of the ones I looked at and which is very struck by. Our reviewer loved it. Um, let me see if I can find the review here. Um, you know, Readers will be haunted by this simultaneously modern and painfully timeless tale, is what our review wrote. And the, I think they're younger than teen, even they feel like tweens. You know, there's just this really clear sense of the complete, um, you know, just the way that emotions and the sense of identity take over, like the way that children become transformed in this period become transformed and feel so difficult to reach and they can't even reach each other. You know, they're making yeah. this pack but they can't even reach each other um but those are those are off the page the, the actual page is very restrained you know it's restrained mm-hmm. there's moments of violence it's limited dialogue it's really a powerful work and worth picking up yes so we, we we're ending on a somber note but it but it is a well done work and as i said it is ultimately a hopeful work yeah, but one I wanted to bring to attention to of our listeners, because um, I think it is, um, you know, there are many debuts coming out every year, and not all of them are going to cut through these big celebrity names, and so this is one that I hope people spend some time with. All right, so, Stargazing, our first show of 2024, more to come. Yeah, absolutely, more to come. <laughs> Thanks so much, Calvin. Thanks, all right. Calvin.